Hey, thanks for listening to the Berwyn AG Podcast. This podcast is a ministry of Christian Life Center in Berwyn, Illinois. Our goal is to create a real faith for the real world. We hope this podcast helps you grow closer to the Lord. For more information, you can visit our website, berwynag.org, or you can find us on all social media platforms at Berwyn AG. If you're blessed by what you hear today, be sure to share and subscribe. Thanks, and as always, God bless. And you might want to bring a friend, because I've met some of your friends and they need to be decrazified. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. Today we look into one of the Old Testament's great fruit bearers. We look into the life of Moses, great fruit bearer, changed the pathway of many nations, not just the nation of Israel. And we've learned some things by looking at his life that'll change our lives and make us into being fruit bearers for the kingdom. How many of you know that fruit bearing is our theme this year? Yeah, raise your hand if you know that. If you, if you knew that before today, now you know it. Of course, I just said it, yeah. But I mean, if you knew that before today, raise your hand. Okay, well, now you know. We're bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. God wants us to be fruit bearers. In fact, the scripture says that uh, he wants us to bear much fruit. Look at your neighbor and say much. Amen. So we're here in Exodus chapter 3, and I'm going to read to you the entire chapter of Exodus 3. So if you get bored and nod off and you wake up and you don't know where you are, still in Exodus 3, okay? Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering." And so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt." But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is, you, that it is I who have sent you. And when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, 
The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. The I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and I have seen what has been done to you in Egypt, and I have promised to bring you out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. And after that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing which you will put on your sons and your daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. Let's pray. Father, we know you have a purpose for this word in our life today, Lord, and I pray that you would speak to us purposefully, Lord God. Help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning, your heart is the, is the soil. The word is the seed. So will you say with me, I receive the word into my heart. Will you say that today? I receive the word into my heart. God has a purpose for us today. He wants us to learn something from Moses. He wants us to receive the word. This is more than a sermon this morning. I say in the name of Jesus, this is a prophetic word that God has for you today. That you will take this, be encouraged, and step up into what God has for you. We find Moses in this place on the backside of the desert. He is not a fruit bearer. He is lost on the backside. He is so confused. His identity has been shattered. Growing up in the house of Pharaoh, growing up as a king's kid, all that special treatment. And then you know the story. He, he rose to the occasion to go smite the Egyptian, killed the Egyptian, had to run for his life. He finds himself on the backside of the desert for all these many years. New life, new wife, new child, new job. He's no longer a rich guy. He's a shepherd on the backside of the desert. He is miserable in that place. And yet he has accepted that this is his new reality. Some of you have accepted that this is your new reality, the misery that you are in, but you don't have to receive that. You don't have to take that. You just have to live in what God has for you so you are aware of what God wants to do for you. He wants to take you from where you have been, get you the lessons on the backside of the desert so that you can become the person that God has for you. 
This is a humiliating experience for Moses. That king's son, it gets into you. If you're used to having money and then you don't have money, it gets in your, under your craw. It bothers you. The things that you used to be able to afford, but you can no longer afford. He, he now identifies with the slaves. He now identifies with the Hebrews. He now identifies with these folks on the backside of the desert. This is an alone experience for Moses. His job, though he has a wife and a, a son, and though he has a, a father-in-law that he serves, the bulk of his time in that place is lonely. He is alone. We hate to be alone. We have invented things to put on your phone so even when you're alone, you can feel as if you have friends. <laughs> we hate being alone. We don't like it. God loves it when you're alone. In fact, when God is trying to retool your life, He doesn't bring any friends to you. He has you alone. The scariest thing I ever heard from a preacher was he said, who you are when you are alone is who you really are. Oh my gosh. Those thoughts that you and I think when we are alone reveal who we really are. No wonder we turn the radio on when we get in the car. We have the TV running in the background. We can't vacuum in the floor without having the TV and the radio on because we just don't want to hear who we really are. But this is an alone experience for Moses. And Moses' alone experience reveals who he is. And he has to come to the reality of his shattered life. He has to come to the realization that God is doing something. I might add to you, that Moses is not a young whippersnapper in this place. He's an older fella. And so it could be that he's looking back at this time in Egypt and saying, those were the good old days, but now, alas, I'm an old guy. I'm in the middle of the desert. But it's more than that. God has you in the desert, on the back side of the desert, alone, missing all the things that you once had, all the brokenness in your life is there to drive you to the cross of Jesus Christ. All that brokenness is for you to understand your real identity, who God is longing for you to be. And if you will receive the word today, God can change that, the fullness of that, change that, the, the expectation of that, and show you what he wants for you. God needs you to get alone because prayer happens best when you're alone, because meditation happens best when you're alone, because silence happens when you're alone. Man, silence takes a while to get used to. I read an article the other day on how to survive in solitary confinement. It was written by a guy who had been in solitary confinement for 12 years, an expert. Two hours a day, he was allowed to be out of solitary confinement. Other than that, he had to learn how to be alone with himself. How many of you think that would take an adjustment? Yeah. I don't even like myself a lot of times, so just being in there would make an argument. Just me and, me and myself and I in there. Anyway, 
Being alone takes some getting used to. The stillness, the silence, the meditation, the prayer, the talking to oneself, the answering to oneself. And so, things break down in your mind when you are on the backside of the desert and you are alone and you're standing there looking out over your sheep for just another day of looking out over your sheep. And you're looking out into the, into the field and it's pretty much same stuff, different day. You're just looking out there, seeing everything is the same. It's always the same. Not much happens around here. God has you right where he wants you. You say, I'm bored. Good. God has you, has you right where he wants you. He's trying to make you into a fruit bearer. Well, how can I bear fruit on the backside of the desert? There's nothing but bramble and sheep around me. But God has you right there. Because what needs to change is what's on the inside of you and your understanding of what God has for you. Sometimes God wants to silence the many voices in your head. Sometimes God wants to put the one single loudest voice in your head. He wants to deposit the Holy Spirit. If we are to see Aaron's rod bud, if we are to see the, the waters part, if we are to see the law come down from the finger of God on the mountain, if we are to see the truth of the Word revealed, we have to have the time alone with God. I recognize that for Moses, this is a death experience, a death to his flesh. His flesh does not want to be alone. His flesh wants to have friends and parties and people over and people to talk and in fact other people have invited him to parties but he's he's got to do what he's got to do he has a job to do and god loves it when you're miserable like that because you're coming to the end of yourself you're coming to the end of your flesh and when you come to the end of yourself sometimes it looks like like this you're driving down the road and Tears are running down your face at the, at the words of a song you've heard a thousand times before that has never moved you, but suddenly now, tears are rolling down your face and you have to turn that truck over to the side of the road and just weep. Sometimes you're just so angry, so frustrated, so alone, you're pounding the steering wheel, asking God to show up, show up for me, God. Change this circumstance. God loves it when you're in that place. Sometimes you're so desperate, you're looking for an answer to prayer and it hasn't come yet and you're just crying out to God. God loves it because you are recognizing what's necessary, that you cannot do it alone. Without me, you can do nothing. Not bad things. Not little things. You can't do anything without his help. You can't even screw up without God. You need him. And so Moses comes to that point, and suddenly God brings him, in this case, a bush that's on fire. I don't know, that wouldn't have really caught my attention. I would have just wondered who started the fire. But as he's looking, 
he says, you know, I need to see an ophthalmologist because that bush does not seem as if it's being consumed by the fire. The Lord whispered to me when I was reading that, because when you're on fire, He doesn't burn you. He burns the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. You can't get burned out if you're doing it Jesus' way. You can only get burned out when you're relying on the flesh. Oh, that was good. You need to write that down, post that on Facebook, tattoo it on your forearm. You need to do something like that. You can only get burned out when you're doing it in the flesh because if you're doing it in the power of the Spirit, the Spirit will give you the strength. The fire will be on you, but it won't be burning you. It will be burning through you, and you will draw attention to other people who are looking for some semblance of divine attention. God somehow uses this divine attention getter to grab a hold of Moses' attention. Let's go see the bush. It's pretty boring around here. Let's go look at the bush. Now, you're pretty bored if you, if, you, if you just say, let's go over there and watch that thing burn. The fire does that to us, doesn't it? It makes us want to watch. I remember when I was a young boy, my grandfather used to burn garbage. It was legal back then. And uh, had a big burn barrel, and he would uh, go out there and just burn garbage. He did it all the time, and so he would go to burn his garbage, and when Grandma would say, I'd say, where's, where's Grandpa? Well, he's out, he's out back. He's going to burn the garbage. Oh, this was a sight to behold. <laughs> I would run out into the alley and stand behind him. Anything I can do? Anything you need me to do? Can I help? And he would light it on fire. Now, once you light it on fire, there's really not a lot to do. Get out of the way. You know, I'll never forget the time when I just decided I'm just going to stay here and watch. Because you can't really take your eyes off the fire. Ever been around a campfire at night? You, everyone is talking to each other, but they're looking at the fire. Because the fire is what grabs your attention. Even when you're just shut down and there's nothing else to do, the fire grabs your attention. I'll, I'll, I'll never forget the one exciting day when someone had thrown into the garbage an aerosol can. And we were in the, we were watching the fire, and all of a sudden, boom, that thing, it was a hairspray can, if I remember right. That thing blew up, and I never missed another fire as long as I could live. If they were doing fireworks, I wanted to be there to see the fire. I'm not sure about Moses' childhood experience, but... The fire attracted his attention, and he went over to see the bush that was on fire. And when he saw the bush that was on fire, God let him get so close, and then he said, Moses, Moses. Now the talking fire bush tells him to take his shoes off. Moses says, I, I don't get that. But suddenly now, this is holy ground. Most of us want holy ground in our life. Sacred space where the presence of God is. A prayer closet. Some place where we can be in the presence of God. But we're not willing to go to the backside of the desert. But we're not willing to endure the aloneness. But we're not willing to suffer the crucifixion of our own flesh 
as we let go of all of our hopes and dreams, as we lay them at the foot of the cross today in worship. I prayed a prayer that scared me as I prayed it. I said, God, all I have is yours. My strengths and my weaknesses. We like to give God our weaknesses, right? We don't like to give him our strengths. God could maybe use a strength or a weakness. God could maybe use these things. And as I laid them down, I said, I am yours. All that I am is yours. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, finally. And then I argued with the Holy Spirit. I've prayed this prayer many times, Lord, but it hasn't scared me as much as it scares me right now to pray it. Because I know more and more what I have and what I don't have. I know my strengths and I know my weaknesses and I know more and more about who I am, but it keeps bringing me back to this place where I have to surrender everything I am to Him. But I can never bear fruit unless I am fully surrendered. Unless a kernel of wheat, Jesus said, falls to the ground and dies, it cannot bear much fruit. It's that falling down and dying that happens in those alone times. It's that, it's that place where we are completely abandoned to the will of God, where we just say, this is now what my life is, and then God says, yes, you're right there where I want you. Somebody here has to recognize that God has you in the place you're in for that reason. But you're not going to stay there because you're being called up to a higher purpose. You just had to surrender your will. And you had to surrender your way. And you had to quit throwing your little fit. You had to quit doing, trying to do it in the flesh. You had to come to the end of yourself on the backside of the desert. You had to be emptied of yourself and completely abandon yourself to who God is making you. And then God starts a little fire in a bush. And that bush attracts your attention. And he gets you over to there and he says, now take off your feet because this is holy ground. Suddenly in that moment when you recognize that God has you in this place because it is holy ground, it isn't the stinky, nasty place that you thought it was. This aloneness, this brokenness, this emptiness, this abandonment, all these things that I'm feeling right now, all this that I'm feeling in the backside of the desert, this loss, sense of loss, this, this sense of no purpose, this wandering, not really understanding what my gifts are, all this is there waiting to be addressed by God, but you have to recognize this isn't a place that stinks. This isn't a place that's miserable. Oh, it stinks and it is miserable. But that's not the purpose of this place. This stinky, nasty place is holy ground. There's a place that I like to go fishing that no one else in my family likes to go fishing. It's up in Canada. It's over two mile-long portages. You have to carry the 80-pound canoe over your head, up this, and they're not flat portages, they're over hills, the last of which is called Heartbreak Hill. 
I'm so old, my kids won't let me carry my canoe up that, which makes me want to go back there all the more. <laughs> and when I get to the top of that hill and then come down the other side, we get to the other side of that, and there is about, I don't know, I'm guessing it's maybe 75 feet of bog. It's about chest deep. It's nasty stuff. I've never laughed so hard in my life. I, I know the secret that you have to walk on the logs and you have to move from stump to stump. But watching my kids go through there sometimes is fun. Because they miss a stump and boop, they're this deep in the muck. First time I went through it, I slipped off a little stump and went, had the canoe over my head and went right down to the ground and the canoe came down right on top of my head. And my poor brother, who was on the other end, thought I was certainly dead. And he came running back as much as he could and flipped that off of my, off of my head. And I was there trying to feel around in the muck for my glasses. But when you get on the other side, after you get through that stinky, nasty, miserable place, you come to a lake called Mac Lake. Mac Lake is walleye holy ground. <laughs> Mac Lake, when you recognize it for what it is, when you understand, you could, you'll wade through the stinkiest, nasty stuff to get in there and catch walleyes longer than your arm. It's awesome. And I, I see that nasty stink now that I know what it really is as opportunity is we're going to get through this and now we're going to get to walleyes this big. There is no fish that tastes better than fresh walleye filet. I'm talking fresh like 10 minutes ago it was flipping around and now it's sizzling in bacon grease. Oh, mercy. That is awesome. You have to recognize the stinky, nasty place is holy ground. What makes it holy? It's the presence of God in that place, or in this case, the presence of walleye. You have to recognize it's the presence of God. He changes that circumstance. You have to recognize you're just not miserable. You're just not stagnant. You're just not growing. You're just not in confusion. You're just not wondering about which gift is yours and how you can serve and what's your greater purpose and how come I'm making still nothing at my job and all those You have to come to that place and say, maybe the voice of God is calling my name, saying, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. This is holy ground. That's what he's trying to bring us to that place. He's calling us to holy ground. He's calling us to the God of our ancestors. The God who led in such awesome fashion in years gone by, who did the miraculous in great times past, who... who suddenly now is speaking to him. Well, okay, God, I'll go do what you want me to say. It's really encouraging to me to know that God cares about the misery of those others. In fact, it seems to me that Moses is miserable because the people back in Egypt are miserable. That Moses is going to have to be formed in order for there to be 
transformation of those people in Egypt. God is trying to work on his deliverers, his fruit bearers, his preachers, his soul-loving people, his embracing the brokenness in this world. God is trying to work on them. He's trying to work on this one that he's going to send back. I want you to go to Pharaoh. I want you to bring this message to Pharaoh. Who am I? See, God has successfully ironed out Moses' personality. A few short years ago, Moses would have said, naturally I'm going to Pharaoh's house. I am of Pharaoh's house. I am a child of the king. I am one deserving to go speak to Pharaoh on behalf of the people of Israel. But no, no. Now Moses says, I don't even know who I am anymore. Have you ever felt like God has crushed your personality as a Christian? You used to know you were a good time Charlie or whoever you were before you came to Jesus. Everybody's friend. Now you're Debbie Downer. Yeah, but we're all going to hell unless we turn to Jesus, you say to your friends. You don't know who you are anymore. You don't fit into what the person that you used to be because God is ironing out the wrinkles in your personality. He's trying to bring you to who you are supposed to be. He's trying to take you and deliver you from you so that you can be a deliverer to all those who know you. That's what God's trying to do. See, few of us really know the name. Few of us really know the name. But the name is there, the covenantal name. I am what I am. Not I am what's I am. That's Popeye. God, there's a lot of theological understanding of what his name means. But I think it means I am who I am. So there's going to be some changing, and it's all going to be in you. Because I'm never going to change. I am eternally consistent. I don't need to be perfected because I'm already perfect. I don't need to be helped because I'm already the helper. So all the changing is going to have to happen in you. Boy, that's a surrender. When you come to that place and you say, okay, God, you, you, don't, you don't come to God and say, God, could you just be a little nicer? Could you just be a little more loving? Could you just help me out here and do that? I, I am doing that. I'm helping you out by letting you fall on your face. Right? It's a hard thing for parents to, to see is that new toddler wandering around. First, they're cruising along the edges of stuff, you know, just walking like this. Right? And then there's that day when they stand. Sort of. And they look around for a place to go. And you're no prophet, but you could see it's going to come. Head and flooring are going to come together <laughs> in a magnificent, holy, shaping moment. It happens to us in the spirit, too. We begin to toddle in the spirit, and we fall down, and we crack our head. And we look up at God and say, God, couldn't you help me? I am helping you. I'm toughening you up. Can't you make it easy? I can't, because in order for you to minister, you have to have the skin of a rhinoceros. 
You have to have people be able to say, I don't want you, and I don't want your God. And you have to not say, I want to bust you in the face right now. <laughs> Talking crap about my God, I'll smack you right. No, you have to be Jesus to them, right. right? And you have to say, I had a guy say the other day, I don't believe in God. I go, but he still believes in you. See, the issue is we have to be those people who are just saying that over and over again and have to have that thick skin that doesn't, it doesn't get hurt, doesn't get wounded. How many, how many times do you think are you're going to be disappointed by human beings? Every stinking time. You will always be disappointed by somebody, Right? And you can get mad, and you can throw stuff, and you can get angry with God. You can quit on God. But the reality of it is, <laughs> God's got you in the desert. Standing there barefoot at the bush, wanting you to be formed into the person that he has for you to be. And the sooner you let go of the person you used to be, and embrace the person that God has for you, Certain you're, sooner you're more empowered by the Spirit of God rather than the spirit of your own personality, then the sooner you can be a fruit bearer. He's calling us up in this higher calling to deliverance for our people. When was the last time you wept over the lost? even in your own family. The brokenness, the dysfunction, those that have pulled away, rejected God. We start thinking God's done with them. God's not done with them. God's not, he's just raising up a deliverer to go talk to them. We have to be the people whose hearts are broken. We have to be willing to do stuff God's way, to do ministry God's way. Now, when I said your skin has to be thick like a rhinoceros hide, I didn't say your heart has to be hard. That's the other side of that. You have to have a rhinoceros hide on the outside and a heart that's tender and compassionate on the inside. It's hardly ever seen. But when you see it, you recognize that that person can just, well, you know who you see it in? Jesus. Every place he goes, people hated him. Think about that. Every place he goes, people going, this guy's a heretic. We need to figure out a way to kill this guy. That's the conversation in the back pew of every place Jesus is preaching. How are we going to kill him? You're going to kill him? I'm going to kill him. We need to make a plot. We need to make a plan. We need to figure it out. How are we going to kill this guy? And Jesus is up in the front. Blessed are the poor. Just the compassionate heart and the skin of a rhinoceros. Just wiping off all that stuff that comes at. We have to be that people. He's calling us to be those deliverers. He's calling us to a land of promise. Moses, once I get those folks out of there, once you learn to speak to Pharaoh, once I am able to do the miracles that I'm going to do, then I'm going to bring you into a land that's filled with milk and honey. 
a land of promise. Noticeably absent is the fact that there are giants in the land. God doesn't drop that little ditty on Moses just yet. God doesn't tell him that he's going to have to fight for those cities from the Perizzites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and all the other ites. God doesn't tell him that. God says, I've got this land of abundance, a land of blessing, a land of spaciousness, a land of, well, a land of the blessing of God. There's no reason to go look at the bush if you don't think the God of the bush is going to lead you to a better place. A better you and a better place. And you should recognize that he's not taking you to that place alone. You've got to bring three million or so of your closest friends with you into that land of deliverance. You're going to go to Pharaoh's house. How am I going to talk to Pharaoh? I'm a wanted man. How am I going to talk to Pharaoh? You know, every leader is one heart attack away from being changed. Right? This Pharaoh is going to be changed, boom, and suddenly Moses can go back there and he's not a wanted man anymore. He goes back to that place. He speaks to Pharaoh. God says, you can do that because I'm going to be your backup. I'm going to be the one who is your backup. God calls you to the burning bush so that you will take off your shoes, so that your life can be completely transformed, so you will recognize this isn't a stinky place, but this is rather the place where, where it's holy ground, and God is forming me, and he's changing me into the person that I ought to be. He's bringing me all through this so that I can go get these people and bring them into this, this wonderful land of abundance. Every single person in here can speak to their friends and say, God has better for you than what you're in. Every single one of us have friends that need to know that God has better for them, for those folks there. God has personally designed better. You don't have to tell them that there's a wilderness between here and there. You don't have to tell them that there's the dark night of the soul, that there's a breaking of the individual's spirit. You don't have to tell them that. You just have to say, just obey Moses, the rich. Moses, the Pharaoh's child. Moses, the one who was raised in opulence. Take off your shoes. And Moses doesn't say, are you kidding? You know who I am? Moses knows who he is now. I ain't nobody. So he takes his shoes off and his life has changed. It's calling us to an unseen path. God is calling us up to an unseen path. My wife used to have this children's record, or more properly, cassette. She used to play it over and over again. I don't remember if the kids learned the song, but by the time I was done hearing it for the 55th time, I had memorized the verse in the song. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Jeremiah 33.3 Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Once we become those people who are calling on the Lord, then God says, now you're in process, and now I can move you out of the desert and take you into places where I can show you one thing after another. What is God showing you? If you're looking to him, he can show you. 
God gives you bushes that don't burn up. That's the miracle of longevity. The ability to endure, the ability to know the Lord's supply. God gives you promises for things greater than you've ever prayed for. The one thing that Moses wasn't praying for on the backside of the desert was that God would transform him into a deliverer. (laughs) Completely, I tried that, I failed at being deliverer, I'll just be shepherd. And now God says, okay, shepherd, let me show you how to be a deliverer. Let me change your world. Let me change your vision of yourself. You will be deliverer. It's the miracle of divine creativity, the miracle of sovereign life flowing through your veins as you suddenly recognize who you are. The unseen path leads us to speak to kings and those in high places. That's the miracle of influence and the miracle of opportunity. People that you never thought you would ever meet, not only will you meet, you will minister God to them. You will minister God to people who you suddenly find yourself in close proximity to. God will bring you to that place. If you've learned your lesson on the backside of the desert, God will bring you to that place where you can minister in the palace. But don't think you can minister in the palace if you haven't learned the desert lesson. And God will take you to a place where your hands, once empty, are now filled with plunder. The plunder of a battle that you never fought. He says, oh, Moses, have all your women ask the other women that they're working alongside, the people who live in their households and that. Tell them that they need an offering and to take this offering and have all the children wear the offering. That's awesome, isn't it? That God puts all those clothes on those kids. One after another layer of clothing and with the golden pot in the pockets and, 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 and wonderful things in the pockets. And the children, are, their whole job is you carry the loot. That's awesome. Isn't that awesome? Right? You carry the loot and we'll just follow God. They've never fought the battle and yet they have plunder. They never have tried to fight and take away what, 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 what God had given other people, it's surrendered to them automatically. It's amazing. It's an amazing thing. Man, I love the Lord this morning. Don't you love the Lord this morning? The, the message to us today is that we are not in a hopeless place. You say, I don't, I don't, I don't really know what the Lord's doing in my life. Well, then just keep eyeballing the horizon and look for the divine fire. And respond when God brings you into his presence. Get some of that Holy Ghost curiosity. What is God doing? What is God trying to do in my life? Pray the prayers that you were too chicken to pray before. Bring yourself to a place of surrender. Lay yourself down. Lay your dreams down. And by faith, embrace what God has for you. I don't know what it's going to be, but I know it's better. 
I know it's greater than you can imagine. I know what he wants to do in your life is shut the mouths of all the fools who've been talking about you. That doesn't mean other fools won't talk about you. It just means that he wants to shut those mouths to give you vindication, to walk in his way. You were thinking this morning, I don't know what God sees in me. We say with one voice in this church, we don't know either. <laughs> to us, you look like one big pathetic loser, but God sees something that we can't see. He's got a path that we haven't seen that he wants to put your feet on. He's got a wilderness for you to endure. And yes, I promise you will not be happy in the wilderness. And this is as good a smile as I can muster today to say to you, it's going to be rough where God puts you, but when he's got you there, learn the lessons. Learn the lessons. Thanks for listening. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. We take pride in creating free content that will hopefully enrich your life and lead you closer to the heart of the Father. If you are blessed by what you heard today, help us continue to make content just like this by sharing, subscribing, and if you feel led, by contributing financially on our website, berwinag.org. As always, if there's anything that we can do to help you in your walk with the Lord, contact us on our website, berwinag.org, or on social media at berwinag. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.